that tomfoolery. Um, this is the last class. You can breathe your sigh of relief now. Um, and we're taking the summer off. Um, so the purpose of this class, and, and I picked it up as a bad substitute for it's been going on for years, um, is to understand what it means to us individually and to us as a church and scripturally, what it means to walk in the Spirit, to understand the Holy Spirit, to listen to the Spirit, to interact with God, to, to just that whole thing that is sometimes kind of a mystery, yet you read Scripture and you go, well, look, it says right here, and the Spirit explicitly says that in the last time. Now, how does that happen? I mean, how did Paul go? Did he have like a conversation? You know, and so we have all these, these things, and each of us have ways that we feel like we hear God and maybe we also have lots of questions about the mystery of interacting with God and, and that sort of a thing. And so that has been going on for some years in this class. Hello, what happened to you? <clears throat> well, speaking of mystery in this class, Hang on just a second. Huh. Well, we may not have a slideshow if I can't get it fixed here. Is there anybody who's a uh, graphic options, output to, clone displays? Ah, thank you. Welcome back. Nice to see you're here. Thank you. I was talking to the computer, but <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Wow, it got small too and not as bright. I wonder if it'll brighten up. Well, uh, in any case, so that's what, that's what we've been doing. Uh, I'm not going to mess with it. Uh, No, we're not going to do that either. Um, wow, did it not save any of my slides that I did? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you might you might want to do that. Um, Wow, not only did it shut down, but it didn't save my slides. So, uh, so I'm going to just wing it, um, which is fine. Um, so in our class, we have been exploring during this session, bad, uh, we've been exploring during this session um, what it means for the Holy Spirit to help us uh, overcome issues, sin issues in our life. What we've been looking at Romans 8 where it says, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. I had such great slides too. 
It is, but there, we must be like spot on what God wants us to do because Satan's like, you're not getting this word out. Um, and so last, last couple of times we t we're, we're talking about, okay, so we've talked a lot about the, 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 the bright side of the force. You know, we've talked about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit side. And um, it occurred to me that we were remiss if we didn't talk about what Satan tries to do to counter that. If we're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, how do those come about in the first place and how do they become powerful? And so um, I talked you through a, a process. I just got back from Kenya, where we do processes. Um, and uh, about how that worked, remember I had my Bible and I had in huge letters 112977, which is when someone first shared this with me. And it was, it was so impacting to me that I wrote it in block letters on the side of my one and only Bible that I ever had the day I got saved from a Billy Graham crusade in 72. So anyway, um, and so I wanted to share that with you and that, that generated um, more questions and more discussion. And so I thought today we would uh, walk through sort of an exercise on how you do that, the steps of it. And the steps are, are in here, they start one, two, and I have three steps here. But, um, so let's talk through that. So, so what I thought we might do is, is an exercise a little bit. So let's think about an issue that, that you know you don't have, but maybe some of your friends have. So, so think about something that we struggle with. Just, just pick an issue, and it can be sin, but it doesn't have to be sin. It can also be just a need, like loneliness or something like that. Okay, so so it, it's um, it, when Jesus uh, is quoting Isaiah, he says, "The Lord," uh, he said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to proclaim freedom to captive, no freedom to prisoners, and release to captives." to declare the healing to the brokenhearted and to declare the favorable year of the Lord. And I always thought, well, that's really poetic and redundant, you know, captives and prisoners. But the reality is those are two radically different things. Some people are in jail because they did something to go to jail. Those are prisoners. Some people are in prison for no reason other than some dictator threw them in prison. And there may be righteous, innocent, good people and they're in a concentration camp. And God comes along to free both of those kinds of people. But the way they're freed is different because one freedom has some things to do with confession and repentance and over here it has to do with understanding what's true and forgiveness. And so there's, there's different approaches. Um, and so we've been talking about a ministry that we have called Freedom Prayer um, and they're, uh, they're, I'm not hawking books so I send them at cost. So if you want a book on it, it's here and it's gone a lot of places. In fact, we just did a training at Christ Pres this past week, which is pretty fun. They're all in. It's so fun. Um, so, um, so let's watch. So pick an issue, just, just some issue. And we'll just, let's just use that. And we'll just right off the top, we'll, we'll kind of build, we'll build a battle plan for that issue using these, these methods. So somebody got one, something? Okay, so being judgmental. Okay, and so uh, now what? Now I'm, I'm, uh, I figured everybody in here would need that. Would would yeah, <laughs> culturally, um, I didn't say. Oh, I'm being recorded. This is Jen talking now. By the way, she's changed her voice. Um, 
So, so describe what that looks like to you, what that feels like to you then. Well, you look at somebody and you assume their motives, and you malign uh, their intent, uh, you think you're better than them, and maybe even in God's eyes. Yeah. Okay, and so, but, but, so to enter this process, you have to recognize it and go, this needs to be changed, right? If you kind of like it, then, you know, there's kind of no point. But so, so let's say that you go, oh my gosh, right? I am so judgmental, or somebody else goes that, or you wake up in the night and the hand of God is on you, and he says, I will kill you if you don't, you know, something like, you know, something happens that, that, that a conviction comes into your life, a, a revelation, you know, something happens, right? Because all of us have blind spots and you go, well, I don't have any blind spots. I mean, what's the matter with me? I just, you know, why do I keep walking into walls in that direction? You know, and, and so we're, we're that way in life. So let's say we've got this and all of a sudden you see it. So now you say, okay, I need to build a strategy to get this out of my life. It's, it's seeped into lots of corners. Um, I see things that way. It's the grid through which I see other people. Uh, people I hang out with might be that way. So, um, so in our steps, uh, number one says, appropriate by faith your freedom, liberation from the power of sin. So what does that mean? What that means is, <clears throat> is first of all, we need to understand what Christ's death did for this judgmentalism. Right, for this way of living. And so if we go back and look at Romans, we say, okay, so Romans, Romans 1 says the world is judgmental. We'll just use judgmentalism. Romans 2 says, so are you. Right? So Romans 2 is, I'm a mess. Um, Romans 3 says, I, when you confess, Lord, I'm judgmental, I'm so sorry, I will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Um, Romans 3 says he's paid off our past debt. And so step one is, is to maybe get with someone or just get with God and to confess it and to say it's wrong and to say, Jesus, can I give it to you? So step one is, so when we talk about what Freedom, prayer, freedom Tools does, Freedom Prayer, it is that thing that we do. That is that Romans 8 thing where it says, if by the Spirit we're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, which is judgmentalism would be one of those things, then sometimes you need to get with a friend and say, I've been convicted on this and I, I'm starting down the path to freedom. And sometimes step one is, is to break free, to, to say, okay, let's make some declarations, let's do some things to break free. And um, so hold that thought because step zero is a realization of what Christ has already done for this particular sin. So number one, it's forgiven. Romans, uh, that's three. Romans four says it's by faith from here on out. So it was always that way with Abraham, so don't get confused. Romans five says, when you fail in the next month, bring it to me and I'll forgive it as well. In other words, I don't expect you to walk this out perfectly now that you know you're judgmental. You will still stumble. And Romans uh, 5 says, um, if he forgave us our sins while we were yet sinners, how much more will he forgive us when we sin in real time? And so it's like Romans 3 is I paid off your, your, all your past debt 
you deadbeat you. I paid off all your past debt. Romans 5 says, I'll pay your monthly note because you can't pay that either. You're kind of in over your head. So that's Romans 5. So with judgmentalism, you go, okay, so Lord, you're not saying I have to be perfect. You're saying I, my intention is to be like you in this area. And when I fail, when, I, when I'm, you know, wherever it is that I have been practicing this, and, and I find myself slipping in there again, I don't have to go, oh, you idiot. I can just go, Jesus, can I give this to you? Would it be okay? I'm sorry I did this. Help me. And God says, no problem. I'm looking at your heart, and your heart wants this gone. Okay, so, so we're, we're building this case where we start from high ground. Okay, Romans 6 says, you have been crucified with Christ, you have been buried, and if you've been buried with him, you've also been resurrected in newness of life. So Romans 6 says, you're actually not a judgmental person. You were a judgmental person, but you have been crucified and resurrected because sin wasn't going anywhere, Satan wasn't going anywhere, so I killed you. So it's like he put us in witness protection program. So Satan doesn't have power over us. Sin doesn't have, I still have the opportunity to be judgmental, no longer the obligation, because it's not who I am. I will, a dog isn't a dog because it barks. It's, it barks because it's a dog. A sinner sins because they're already a sinner. But Romans 6 says, I've actually made you a new creation, a new kind of person. You're a stranger and an alien on this earth. You still have this sin thing strapped to your back, but you yourself are a redeemed individual. And so when I come to my judgmentalism and I go, you know, that's actually not who I am anymore, and you, and you get that in your head, then freedom is a lot easier. Because we operate out of who we think we are, out of our identity. And so God said, I, I've changed your identity to a son of God. You've been crucified, you've been resurrected, you're not a judgmental person, but you're a godly son of mine who has a judgmental history, right? It's like you, you don't have diabetes anymore, but you had a diabetic history. And so that's what Romans 6 says. Romans 7a says, um, the law says don't judge lest you be judged. And you could feel really guilty and condemned all the time, and you could walk around and it's sort of popular in some church circles to say, oh, we're just sinners, you know, I'm just a sinner, we're all just sinners, we're all just... And, and it, it feels humble, but it's a lie. It's actually an inverse form of pride. Because that's not what God says we are. And so Romans 7a says, you, you, you have been freed from the, from the requirements of the law. The requirements of the law would be judge not lest you be judged, and the way you judge, you will be judged. And God has said, look, I'm, you do not have to feel guilt if you sin. The law doesn't judge you anymore. Just like Satan can't get you, the law can't get you either. I put you in witness protection, but I've hidden you from the law. The law was after you, and the mafia was after you, and neither one can find you. They think you're dead. And so there's this place where when I sin... I kind of almost feel like I can get away with murder in a sense. That's why Romans 6 says, shall we sin that grace may increase? Because 
the logical conclusion from Romans 5 is to think I can sin and it's not a problem. And Paul goes, well, it's really not a problem, but why would you do it? It's like people ask, can a Christian have a demon? And you go, well, yeah, but why would they want one? You know, it's like, can a Christian sin? Yeah, but why would they want to? They don't have to. And so Romans 7 says, the law doesn't condemn you anymore. You're, you're, you're freed from the demands of the law. In a sense, you're above the law or below the law or outside the law, but not because you're a law breaker, but because I have lifted the requirements of law off of your life and I have given you grace and a new nature. It's a better way of operating than trying to meet the requirements of the law. New nature plus forgiveness and grace is way better than law and beating yourself up over not meeting the law. And so that's where, that's where God has come from. So Romans 7b, we're almost there. So this is step one, is just, just get in my head who I really am. That, I mean, that's, we, we will never change if we think we're not changed. We'll never change if we don't understand why Christ came to change us radically. And so much of the church is trapped in this, well, I'm just a sinner forgiven. I mean, that's I'm a forgiven sinner. And it's like, welcome to Romans 3. Have you read further yet? Or, you know, are, you know we need to get out of Romans 3. I mean, that's what it says. But honestly, you know, you bought a whole set of encyclopedias and you got A. You know, so go back to the store and get the rest. Okay, and so Romans 7b, Paul has this crazy discussion. And he says, I find myself doing the thing I don't want to do. Remember that one, Romans 7? Um, and I hate the thing that I'm doing. And then he goes, and I'm like, if you hadn't written it honestly, Paul, he goes, if I'm doing the thing I don't want to do, then I'm not the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find this principle in me that the one who wishes not to sin, sins. But if I do the thing I don't want to do, now check this, then I'm not the one doing it. But sin that dwells in me does it. Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of Romans 7b. God says, look, if you were killed and you were resurrected and the flesh is still there, then why in the world would I punish you for what your evil twin Skippy does? You know, why, why would I punish you for the disease that's, that's, that's hanging around your neck? I don't, I don't beat up a kid with a bad leg for limping. I help. I'm there to help. And so God's total view of, of us with our fallen nature is one of absolute mercy. And Paul says something that in most Christian circles would be considered heresy, except for the fact there it sits in Romans 7. And he says, I'm sinning when I do the thing I don't want to do. That is, the remorse that I feel for sin is, is prima facie evidence, evidence on the face of it, that it's not me. If I sinned and loved it, I might question my salvation. But if I sin and go, ah, oh, man, God says, that is evidence it's not you. It's not you. And you go, let me read that again. I mean, I remember, <laughs> you know, sitting in a hotel, reading a Gideon's Bible, Romans 7, like 17 times after I'd like lusted all night in a restaurant, and I'm just reading it and going, huh. You know, and I set it down, I like walk around my room, that's too good to be true, and just Really? I mean, re you know, it's just like, and it just hits you 
So I've never been guilty to, I, I have sinned a lot, but I've never felt this guilt and shame from that day to this because Romans 7 says, I have, when I die, that disease isn't going to heaven with me. And there's still temptation, there's still tests, there's still drawing, my flesh still wants to do stuff. And so when you get into Romans 8, it says, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So in Romans 8, God says, now you have a choice. You are in the middle and you can look at the flesh and the demands of the flesh and you can go, yeah, we're going to go do that. Or you can, you can feel the draw of the spirit and the spirit of God in you and set your mind there. So where, where's your mindset? And we have a choice. And the mindset on the spirit will be life and peace. That is the natural outcome. You're not generating life and peace. You're not trying to work up life and peace. The natural restful outcome of a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. That's just, that is the inheritance of every child of God. And it just feels too good to be true, so you don't hear it very often. I don't know why. We should preach that three Sundays out of four till we get it, you know, and then, then do, I don't know, Kids Sunday the next week or something, but, but, but we need to preach it. So, yeah, I, I get it. You're so bad. Um, that's so funny. It's never done that, like two years in science school. Um, <clears throat> so, so here we are then at Romans 8. And so it says, if by the Spirit we're put into death, the deeds of the body will live. And Romans 12, then it goes to this little hiatus through Israel. And then Romans 12 is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's where we are, Romans 8, Romans 12. So that's, that's the next step. So step one is just get that deep in your system about Romans. Just get that so that when you come at sin, you're coming at it as a mop-up exercise and not as an uphill battle. You're coming at it, look, I'm predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is just right on my path of, of predestination to image transformation. This is just, I mean, this is not going to stand very long. This is on its way out. You know, it's like you're cleaning the attic and you go, huh, those are going. Why did I keep seven tons of newspaper in my attic? You know, and you're just, all we're doing is just hauling it to the dump. That's all we're doing with sin, with issues in our life. We're hauling it to the dump. And God, who began a good work and will complete the good work, he's the God of the timing of when we attack stuff. We don't go after everything, but when it becomes ripe, when the tomato is ripe, we pick the tomato. It's easy. My burden is easy. My load is light. You'll find rest for your soul, right? So the author and perfecter of our faith, he's the one working. So when something kind of comes in your face and you kind of get this sense of, yeah, this judgmentalism now is in my face, as Greg mentioned, this judgmentalism. So step one is, if I haven't been laying this background on Romans, step one is, is just to sit and soak in Romans for a while. There's a great book about this um, by Watchman Nee, who was a, uh, a preacher uh, evangelist during the uh, Chinese Socialist Revolution, Mao's Revolution. He was eventually killed. Um, I think he was, but then he went to England and he wrote a few books. But his, his classic is called The Normal Christian Life. And it's just a wonderful book about this. When I was first saved, somebody said, Andy, the books of the Bible at the end go Jude, Revelation, Normal Christian Life. You know, and I'm like, okay. And so I read it 
My copy is in like 18 pieces with a rubber band around it now. Um, Watchman, N-E-E. -E. Yeah, Watchman, knee. Yeah. Um, so great book about that uh, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, he does the best description of being filled with the Spirit I've ever read. Because you go, oh, how hard is that? You know, what? it just makes sense to me now. <laughs> Needed this Chinese guy. Um, and, and he literally planted the Chinese church, the house church movement. Uh, crazy stories about this guy. Um, so now that we've got that, we've got this judgmental thing, and so that's in our bullseye now. So step two is, is to find out what's true in the Word. Right? So we're, we're preparing. Remember when Satan comes to Jesus and... Um, uh, 1031, okay. Satan comes to Jesus and, and Jesus says, he says, well, you know, this and this, and Jesus says, well, it's written. Satan goes, dang it, okay. Well, you know this and this, and Jesus goes... It's written, and he's quoting Deuteronomy every time. But right, so Jesus teaches a lot of things, and a lot of them you can't find word for word in the Old Testament. But when Satan comes to him, word for word, Old Testament quote. In other words, I'm going to give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, when Satan comes to me. And so I have to lay up the truth in, in my heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. Thy word have I laid up in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. And so you go, okay, I'm going to lay up the word about judgmentalism in my heart. So you start looking at scripture and, you know, 50 years ago you had Strong's Concordance and you would flip through pages and then go look in your Bible and seven hours later, and maybe that was good. You know, now it's like... 37 verses on judgmentalism in the Bible. Oh, look, here they all are. And it's almost too easy, so, so make sure you don't just buzz through them, but make sure that we take our time to let the word buzz through us. And so what are some verses that just come to mind on, on judgmentalism or being judgmental? Is there anything where you go, oh, yeah, that's kind of standard. Does anything... Yeah, judge not lest you be judged in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And you go, huh, so am I experiencing judgment in my life? And what does judgment look like? It looks like opposition to the things I want to do. It looks like failure in the places I want to grow. It looks like things going wrong in my life. It looks like I almost get the promotion, but not quite. I almost get, but not quite. But there's like a, a, a not quiteness about it. There's, a, there's a, a, just a sense of, of being opposed, right? What does it look like for God to say, you're judgmental, so this isn't going to go... It, it's, it might not even be God causing it. It might just be the law of sowing and reaping working itself out in the world. I mean, God doesn't say, I'll judge you. He says, you'll be judged. He says to the, the guy at the Pool of Siloam, sin no more lest worse befall you. He didn't say, I'm going to make it befall you. He says... Sin has consequences. I, you know, don't blame me. I, I, I created this world so grace, so good deeds would have consequences. This world should be a thousand times better than it is because of the law of sowing and reaping working out in the goodness of the world, and you guys gave it all away. So here we are. So judge not lest you be judged. Any, any other verse? Okay, you can cheat now and look on your... Yeah, go ahead. Don't show favoritism. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
That's right. If a rich man comes in and he comes down front, and you and so so that's that's a great because he's not really saying judge, but it's sort of the, yeah. That's a great. I hadn't. I never thought that's an awesome verse about that, because judgment is really favoritism in a lot of ways, isn't it? Right. How we live our lives, who we hang out with. You know, Jesus says, "Look, when you give a party, why do you invite people who can pay you back?" I mean, how you know? How often do we do that? And you go, "Huh? What would it look like if I? I'd ha- I'd be a different person because I'd have to really feel comfortable with people very unlike me." Hmm. You know, and all of a sudden you're on the road to transformation. Great. Any other thoughts about it pop in your head? You're about ready to say something back there, old Jim. I'm just reflecting back on some other things. Okay. Yeah? Okay, so, so there's two. I mean, that's almost enough. Um, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't have judgmentalism in it, does it? So you can look at things that are like, this is what I'm supposed to be, and I actually don't see that in the list. Right? I use that for every one of my sins. <laughs> it's like, I don't think it's on this list, right? Uh, so, that, so you could, right? And so, and so you begin to lay those up in your heart, and, and there's great ways to do that. But my favorite way is, not, is to read the word through your emotions, not through your brain to read the word through your right brain. And that is just sit, get very still, turn off everything, including your brain, and just read it and let it read you very slowly. And just listen with God. Say, God, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, what are you saying about this? So you're not trying to look it up in the Greek and the Hebrew and exegete. You're just trying to let it soak into you. And you, and you stay at it, and, and you, you, you invite Jesus into the conversation. You say, Jesus, would it be okay if you and I sat together? I need to know what's true, but not just what's factually true. I need to know what's true about my life. I need to know what's true about how I judge. Right? So you could sit and read the verse that says, Judge not, lest you be judged. And you say, so Holy Spirit, where do I judge? Will you show me? And happy to apply. <laughs> it's like, wait, let me get a pencil. <laughs> right? And so, and so when we look at these verses, we're not just simply laying them up in our head, which is, is a good thing to do, but that memorization is a byproduct of meditation. Right? And so to meditate until it's deep in us, you know, that judge not lest you be judged, and this is the one that, that I've spent hours on almost, in the way that you judge you will be judged. And you just go, huh. Holy Spirit, where, where have I done that? You know, will you show me? And if Holy Spirit seems too ethereal, you can ask Jesus. I mean, they're, they're, they're all fine with that, right? So you say, so if Jesus, you can kind of visualize him better or connect. And remember in, in this class, we, we've shown kind of how to connect with with God, how to behold God, that sort of thing. And so, so you do this with the scripture. You, you're literally sitting and having a consult with God about the truth. And you just look at verses, and it'll be pretty soon that three or four kind of really nail it for you. And, 
and you get them and, and, and you say, okay, here's, here's the flesh, here's the new me. This, is, this new me is framed by this truth and, and this truth applied personally to my world. And so what you're doing is you are doing jungle training for ambush when you do that. You are getting yourself ready to be ambushed, but you're going to win. And so what you're doing is, is you're preparing. Remember, uh, maybe it was last time or time before, I saw I had jungle training, and they said, when you get in an ambush, you do three things. You scream your fool head off, ambush, ambush, ambush. You just point your gun in the direction of their bullets and just pull the trigger. You don't aim. You just pull the trigger and spray bullets, and you get out of the kill zone. That's how you survive an ambush. If you go, you're dead meat, okay? So quick, violent counterattack. And so step three then of our process is now I've laid up this truth is James 4, 7, and 8, right? Which is, what does the word say? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee in terror from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So those three steps, and that's here in step three, and there's scripture in there and stuff, but those three steps make you a Green Beret Christian fighter. I mean, that, that's, Jesus used those three steps, right? Um, he had been, um, um, he had been submitting to God for 40 days, being led about by the Spirit in the desert, he comes into temptation, he goes, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, and then the angels come and minister to him. Okay, submit, resist, draw near. And so, so we're, we're in a situation, and all of a sudden you, you feel that sense of judgmentalism coming, you recognize it, and you can ask, Holy Spirit, will you put a guard at the gate of my mind? Remember it says, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. That word thinks within himself out of Proverbs is act as a gatekeeper. So as a person acts as a gatekeeper within themselves, so are they. That is, you become what you meditate on. You become what you let in. And so we're acting as a gatekeeper and we have put a wall of scripture up, you know, like a, like a metal detector, a mental detector. And, and, and if a thought tries to walk in that is judgmental, or a situation where we've been habitually judgmental and all of a sudden the alarms go off and we go into action. So step one is submit to God. God, help me right now, Holy Spirit. The, you know, the things we've been talking about right now, right? So it's just like, God, help me right now. Then it's, it is written. The judgment of man does, does not, or the anger man, I see I was doing anger because that was mine. So judge not lest you be judged in the way that you judge. I am not a judger. You know, I don't give preference to the fruit of the spirit. It's not judgment, but it's love, joy, peace. And you just, whatever those verses are that you've laid up, and you just, you just violent in your head. I've had people say, are you mad about something? You go, yeah, just a minute. <laughs> right? Sometimes walking through the airport, it's that old slinky traveling person and, and I'm like, put your eyes below the level of the playing field and begin to call out for, for peace and freedom for people who are wearing way inappropriate things traveling in the summer, you know? And so, and so it's, it's that. You just turn and you bam, 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 you're shooting. And then, it, it, and then you just go, I don't have time for you actually anymore. Um, if you think you can get judgment out of that old man who's dead, 
he's in the coffin. See, you know, good luck. And he just turned right back to God. I thank you that you don't judge me and you have plenty of opportunity, but you've chosen not to judge me. And because I'm not judged, I don't judge. And I thank you that's who I am. I thank you that you walk inside of me. I thank you that it's your desire to turn me into a person who sees and discerns like you discern, but doesn't add judgment to it, right? It says a spiritual man in maybe 1 Corinthians 4-ish says, says the, the, the mind man cannot understand the things of the spirit, they're foolishness to him. But the, and that's, that's psychikos, a psychological man. But the, but the, the pneumaticos man assigns proper value to everything. It says judges everything, but the word there is ajaj. That is, that is you, you, you can assign value to what's valuable and not value to what's not valuable. And so you can say, God, I thank you because judgment is the counterfeit of discernment. Satan always has counterfeits. He doesn't invent, he just counterfeits. So judgment means I think I know what's right and I think I can assign blame, and I think that I'd be happy if that punishment were executed somehow. And maybe I'll execute it by excluding them, or by subtly voting in the state legislature to punish these kinds of people, or by not reaching out, or by not being, you know, I'll just have subtle ways of judging them in my life. I don't go out and say, you're a whatever, but I judge subtly. And, and God says, yeah, that's a counterfeit. You, you think I don't see sin much more clearly than you see sin? But I don't judge, I discern. And so, so he gives us discernment. He's reserved judgment to himself. When I judge, it means I think I'm omniscient. I think I know the reason why people do things that they do. I play God, and God doesn't like you to play God because you get it wrong every time, right? And so do I. And so, and so in that thing that we're doing with judgment, you say, God, uh, so when you turn back to God, it's, God, I ask for a spirit of discernment. Not so that I can correct people, but so that I can bless and help people. Right? Because people know they're sinners. <laughs> they don't need, people know they're failures. People know they're in pain. People, you know, they, they know they're hurting. They don't need us to do that side of things. The sin already did the, did the teaching. You know, the, the pain already taught me things. What I need is someone to discern the path to freedom and help walk me out. If anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself lest you too be tempted, right? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. That's what God's looking for is partners with discernment, not accusers with judgment. Satan is looking for partners who accuse and judge. God is looking for partners who discern and help. So one is the counterfeit of the other. So, so you can see when you bring up the judgment thing, Greg, when you bring up the judgment thing, it opens this whole door not to simply stop judging, but it opens a door to discernment and godly living and changing the world. And, yeah. and every sin, every issue that when we find out God's truth and we begin to apply it in every case without question, we grow into a whole new revelation about how to live. So we don't just get back to zero. We go, yeah, that's good. We go, by, go beyond healing to destiny, right? So when I judge, if I just stop judging, now I'm neutral. 
God's like, no, I didn't actually call you just to get back to zero. I called you to go on to destiny, to go on to purpose. And so everything we've been talking in this class, in this period, is how do we discern what's going on? How do we understand? How do we bring Holy Spirit into it to bring us past zero and on to purpose, on to destiny? And so those are the steps that we take. Holy Spirit plays a huge role. Satan tries to play a huge role. And really, I wouldn't know I was judgmental except the accuser accused me of it sometimes. And you go, in a sense, hey, thanks a lot for pointing that out. Don't have time for you anymore. You know, on we go. Any last questions about that? Wish I had my slide. No, I actually don't, but it was good. Okay, bless you. Have a great summer. Lord, I ask that whatever should soak in, soaks into the ground here and produces great spring crop. Amen. We'll maybe see in the fall. We'll see what's going on there. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Good stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah. for that verse. I'm like, yeah. well, you know. More comes to me as I sit here and talk. I mean, that, that ends the last statement right there is mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And two chapters later, he goes on about do not judge your brothers, and your neighbors. There's only one on the throne who can judge. That would be a good, a good soaker on that one, yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. No, appreciate you. Thank Thanks. you for your encouragement and everything. Well, good appreciate stuff. you and Laura. I just want to say thank you. This class has been life-changing in the ministry. Oh, training. good. Yay. I'm going deeper than I've ever been. I'm excited about our session with Scared to Death also. <laughs> trying to trying to let the friends you know, explain it to the people. And, you know, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to walk with God. So.